Well, good morning. Welcome again to Fellowship of Grace. Glad that you are with us today. Uh, I do want to make uh, one quick announcement. I think many of you know already, um, if you are a member of our church and you're on the city, which is our church's uh, social network, but uh, uh, Lucy Hauser passed away uh, last Monday. And so um, if you will continue to pray for her, her services were yesterday, and so if you'll continue to pray for her family, uh, we would appreciate that. Um, just pray that God will um, uh, heal their hurts and provide comfort uh, to them. Uh, we know that Lucy knew uh, Jesus, and uh, she sat right here on the second row uh, every week that she could be with us, and uh, uh, so that's very comforting. But you pray for them as they go through uh, this difficult time. Uh, hey, I see many of you are wearing uh, Chiefs colors. That's really good. I, I thought wearing a jersey might be a little much uh, for preaching in, but uh, I did wear Chiefs colors today. Uh, it reminds me of a, uh, a news story I heard this week. I just want to read it to you because I want to make sure I get this right. Okay? A seven-year-old boy was at the center of a Fulton County, California courtroom uh, drama when he challenged a court ruling over who should have custody of him. I don't know if you saw this or not. The boy has a history of being beaten severely by his parents, and the judge initially awarded custody to his aunt in keeping with the child custody law and regulations requiring that family unity be maintained to the highest degree possible. The boy surprised the court when he proclaimed that his aunt beat him more than his parents, and he adamantly refused to live with her. When the judge then suggested that he live with his grandparents, the boy cried and said that they also beat him. After considering the remainder of the immediate family and learning that domestic violence was apparently a way of life among them, the judge took the unprecedented step of allowing the boy to propose who should have custody of him. After two recesses to check some legal references and confer with the child welfare officials, the judge granted temporary custody to the Oakland Raiders, whom the boy firmly believes are not capable of beating anyone. Now, now, listen, I don't want to make fun of, of child beating. That's not the point. Uh, but uh, beating the Raiders, that's a point. That's a good point. We're not playing them today, but we're, we're always, I pray every week that the Raiders get beat, even if the Chiefs don't play them. So uh, you pray with me with that. Okay, listen. Hey, we're starting a new series. I'm excited about this series because uh, of a few reasons. You know, one, as I see our culture uh, moving to different ways and I see uh, uh, things happening in the world, uh, that does not surprise me. Uh, That does not, uh, uh, I don't want to say concern me. It concerns me, but it doesn't freak me out a little bit. What kind of freaks me out a little bit is the number of Christians that get caught up in it and begin to move with the culture. And so we're going to go through, I don't know if uh, you all had uh, got one of these little cards, uh, but we're going to go through love, relationships, gender, money, and the church, and we're going to compare how uh, uh, other sources view these topics as well as how God views these topics. So over the next five weeks, we'll we'll be looking at how God sees these things. Uh, You know, all of us have a perspective or a viewpoint of some kind. We just do. But we can't deny that. We have input from our surroundings. We have input from our own personal experiences. We have input from the culture. We have input from all kinds of different sources around us. But as a follower of Jesus, we need to have God's perspective on life. You know, perspective really does matter. In fact, I, uh, by the way, I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want any of you spending the entire time we're together today on the internet looking for a plexiglass Bible, so don't do that. Uh, but I looked this week, if I could find online a Bible that had a plexiglass front and back and see-through pages. 
because I thought to myself, if there were a way that we could view the world looking through the lens of God's word, and if I could see the world through God's word, that would be an incredible word picture. I couldn't find that Bible, so just picture it in your mind. Uh, But there are a few things uh, that really help us to understand the perspective matters, right? Like, for instance, this particular picture. I love the fact that everybody has a phone now these days and we can all take pictures and we can all do kind of weird based on our perspective. Now, there's no trick photography in this. All a person does is put their hand up uh, with a cloud, you know, thousands of miles behind it, and they take a picture. Perspective matters. You know, uh, here we have a, a person putting a bucket over a mother and child at the beach. Here's another one with just the perspective makes a difference. I love these pictures. I really do. Because they really show us that how we view things or the lens we look through to see them really makes a difference. That woman was not about to be captured by a, a, a sand pail. This man is not really holding up this very tiny woman uh, uh, by the sea. These are simply uh, different ways to view reality. Now, we're going to have a series verse for this series. We don't, we've never done this before. Uh, but I want us to have one verse that we kind of go back to through this series. We're going to talk about it at the beginning of every service over the next five weeks. And it's this verse out of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 25. Here's what it says. It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Uh, I don't want us to get too Joel Olsteen-y, uh, but let's just say that together, okay? Let's just say that together. Here we go, Ready? There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now, why is that so important? Here's why. The way we see things leads to our conclusions about life. It leads to our conclusions about life. We're going to talk through this series about whether reality is real reality or if we can determine reality. If I'm colorblind, and I view the chairs in this room, and they all appear red to me, does that make them red? Reality matters, folks. It just matters. But we live in a world now where everything changes. Everything changes based on our perspective. You know... I occasionally go to the grocery store, and, uh, boy, I revealed a lot about myself there, didn't I? Uh, I? I occasionally go to the grocery store, and I'll see somebody park in a handicapped spot. They won't have a handicapped license plate. They won't have a placard in the front of their car, and they will get out of their car and not appear to be handicapped in any way, shape, or form. Now, that, that upsets me a little bit, okay? And by the way, if you do that, just stop it, okay? Uh, but it, it just, it upsets me a little bit, but... How would my perspective change if I were handicapped? If that were the only closest place left to the front door, my perspective would change based on my, my uh, history, my own experiences. But the reality is somebody's parking in a handicapped spot that shouldn't. That's the reality of it. Now, there will be a temptation during this series to always think of others. Yeah, I know somebody who's like that. Yeah, I know somebody who does that. Yeah, I know somebody who thinks that. But let's just try really hard to just 
think about ourselves in this particular uh, setting, to think about how we think, how we react, how our perspective is, how much our perspective is lined up with God's perspective. And so let's start today. We're going to talk today about seeing love God's way. You can see on the front of your bulletin, every week this word, the colored word will change based on the topic we're talking about. And today we're talking about love, seeing love God's way. So let's compare uh, the way other sources, and particularly, mostly, our world around us, how they view love as opposed to God's perspective about love. The first thing we see is that the world's view is love is a feeling. Now, at this point, I thought about singing several songs about love that would give you the world's view on feeling, but we simply don't have time. Amen. Uh, but there are a thousand songs written, a thousand poems uh, to describe this feeling of love, right? And you all are probably thinking of some right now. Uh, it's described as this, this kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that, that melts our hearts. And, and, you know, for all of us who are true romantics, it just, oh, it just melts us. I mean, right? Okay. In fact, if you Google the definition of love, it says that love is an intense feeling of deep affection. So if you think I'm making it up, that's the Google definition of love, an intense feeling of deep affection. It drives people to do things, to buy things, to give things. This feeling uh, drives their senses and their, their sense of purpose. It can also come and go with a whim. What is God's view of the definition of love? How is it different than it being a feeling? God's view is that love is an action. Now, it doesn't mean it can't have some feeling to it. It doesn't mean that there's no emotion attached to it. But God's view is that it's in an action. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Not John, but 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Here's what it says. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Listen carefully. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What God's saying here is, folks, there's too much talk. Too much talk about love. There's too many words about it. Real love is found in deeds and in truthful behavior. Now we can say we have love all day, but what if our actions don't match up to it? Is that real love? Now we have all either been in relationships or we've seen relationships where the words are there, but the action just doesn't measure up, right? I mean, people will say, I I love you, and then they'll do very unloving things. They'll say, oh, I've got all the warm, fuzzy feelings, but all of the actions are different. Again, it doesn't mean that that the actions can't have some emotion attached to them. Uh, Of course they do. But love isn't what we see out in the world being this warm, fuzzy feeling that drives us and causes us to, to live our lives. But it's, it's an action. You know, I, I, uh, 
I remember uh, counseling a, a young uh, couple, and, and well, they were kind of middle-aged couple, actually, and uh, uh, she was upset that he never said he loved her. And he said, well, I told you on our wedding day I loved you. Wasn't that enough? Uh, guys, by the way, just as a side note, no, it's not. Okay, so it's good to say it anyway. So, so I'm, not, I'm not saying don't use the words, uh, don't say the things, but guys, it doesn't mean anything if there aren't actions to back it up. Okay, in fact, I think it'd be good every once in a while if you say, uh, hey, honey, I love you, and here are all the ways that I show it. I just want to point them out to you because I, I want you to see that I'm doing these things. I, I'm, I'm intentionally acting in a way that's loving towards you. And by the way, we should all be open to people who say, hey, that action you're doing is not very loving towards me, and we change our actions. We also see that the world's view of love is that it's sought out. Now listen, it's, it's a human instinct to want to be loved. I get that. I get that. But we have a tendency to seek it. We crave it. We want it to the point of, of even changing who we are just so others will accept us or love us. Now I could make a case that the majority of our time working on our appearance is all about us wanting to be loved. Not all of it. I understand uh, people exercise to feel good, and they exercise to, uh, well, that's what I hear. Uh, they exercise to uh, uh, have good health and all of those things. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that, folks. But let's just be really honest. We are really concerned in our society about how we look. And is it always about just being healthy? Or is it sometimes about, I want to be accepted by people? Now, I'm not talking about basic hygiene here, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about this massive task that some people undertake to change their appearance to gain love and acceptance uh, from both their peers and the opposite sex. Folks, that's not love, but we, we, we seek it, we crave it in our society. But in God's view, love is not to be sought after, but it's to be shared. When we see how God describes love, it's not done in an effort to seek something out for ourselves. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Here's what love is. God says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, all of that stuff about love right there is not about what you get, but it's about how you share it with others. It's not arrogant towards other people. It's not rude towards them. It's not something that we seek after and crave and figure out how to manipulate a way to get it for ourselves, but it's something that God says we should share with others, we should give to others. The emphasis is not on how I benefit from being loved, but how others benefit by me showing them love. By the way, uh, a great thing for you to do as a, as a couple sometime would be to go through this passage and just talk about each one of these things. Honey, am I patient? Sweetheart, do you think I'm very patient? Let's talk about 
uh, where our patience is good and where it probably doesn't, uh, you know, isn't complete. Let's talk about kindness, being kind to one another. Uh, how can we be kind to each other? How can we be kinder to one another? All of those kind of things. Another way the, the world views love is that love is a reaction. It's a reaction. Now, this is most seen uh, in our culture by the term falling in love. It's like, it's like falling in a ditch. You can't, you can't help it. It just happened. I was walking along the road, and I stepped in a puddle that was too deep, and I fell into a ditch. That, that's how you fall in love, according to some. It's like being struck by lightning. Now, it may be exhilarating, but it may burn you in the end. Think about that. Okay? It's usually a reaction to physical appearance or even a kind gesture. We are being treated kindly. Uh, people that are, 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 are abused or treated badly, when somebody comes along and is just nothing but kind to them, sometimes all of a sudden they fall in love. Listen, God's, God's view of love is not something you fall into. It's not something that's a reaction or a hormonal reaction or even a, a, a thoughtful reaction. It's a choice. It's a choice. Love doesn't control us. We control it. Now, we, not, we may not be able to control the feeling of attraction. I, I get that, okay? But if love is not a feeling, if it really is an action, then we choose whether to act or not, Right? Look what Jesus says in Matthew, uh, chapter 5, verses 43 to 44. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I know what you're thinking right now. Even the Oakland Raiders? Yes, perhaps, even the Oakland Raiders. Look, he's not telling me uh, to have, he's not telling us to have an intense feeling of deep affection for those who hate us. He's not telling us that. He's not saying, hey, have a feeling towards them. That's uh, really almost an impossibility to control. What he is telling us is to choose to act in love toward those who hate us. If my neighbor hates me, and he does hateful things toward me, I should react and respond and choose to respond in a loving way. Now Jesus goes on to say here in Matthew chapter 5 that if you love those who love you, he basically says, what's the big deal in that? What's the big deal in that? Even even people that are far from God love people that love them. Even lost sinners, they love people who are like them and who like them, they love them. They don't love their enemies. So you be different. You choose to act in love by loving your enemies. So here we see that it's it's not a reaction, it's a choice. We also see that love is conditional in the world we live in. I hear it all the time. I will love you if you do these things for me. If. I love you if. Now, those are based on performances or on circumstances. It's all conditional. I, I love you when you do these things. 
I, I love you because you do these things for me, I will love you. It's conditional on uh, some kind of continuing behavior. It's almost like a negotiation. But God's view is not of conditional love. God's view is that love is unconditional. It's not I love you if, I love you when, or I love you because, but I love you in spite of. Wow. Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is God's best example of unconditional love. While we were still offending him, he loved us and he acted in love toward us. Think about that. I mean, uh, this is a a verse that probably some of you have memorized, you've learned it, you've heard it maybe for several years if you've been in church. But really focus on what it says here. I mean, really think about it for a minute. It's saying, while we were in the process of still sinning and hating God, being against him, he chose to love us, and he acted on it by sending his son to die for us. Not, hey, when you guys stop sinning and really recognize that I'm the big man, then I loved you. He's not saying, hey, if you guys will just clean up your act and keep it clean for a while, I'll love you. He said, listen, while you were basically still spitting in my face, I chose to love you in spite of who you are. And I showed that to you and I acted upon it by giving my son to die for you. That's unconditional love. There are no prerequisites. There are no conditions other than just loving him back. The last thing I want you to see today is that the world's view about love is all about getting. It's all about getting. You know, many times even our best efforts to love are motivated, at least in part, to get something back, aren't they? I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but kind of treat love like a hostage negotiation. We may not say these things, but I think we sometimes think them. After all I've done for you, this is how you repay me? This is how you treat me? After everything I've done for you? Now think about that. What we're saying really there is, look, I have loved you and loved you and loved you. When do I get some back? It's not unconditional. In reality, what we're saying is, I'll make the first bid. I'll make the first bid, and I'll love you first. But listen, if I do that, you've got to come through. You've got to come through with your part. And I'm not saying to be a doormat for others. But is real love focused on what I get back? Probably not. Because God's view about love is all about giving. The greatest example in all of human history. We mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, let's look at John three sixteen and 17. And I know most of you have this verse memorized, but let's not go through it too quickly. 
let's think about what we're saying. For God, this is Jesus, or John talking here. He says, for God so loved the world. Actually, it's Jesus talking. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now think about this for a minute. For God decided to love the world so much that he did what? He gave. He gave. He didn't demand from the world. He didn't expect from the world. He loved the world. And so he gave. What did he give? His only son. The greatest gift he could possibly give. The highest, costliest gift he could possibly give. He said, I I, I gave this to you. It's about giving, not getting. So that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, to point out just what big failures we've been, but so that through the world we might be saved. Through his son we might be saved. Through him. Folks, this is, this is real love. This is real love that says, I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even doing this as a negotiation. I'm not even saying this is a condition, conditional give as long as you promise to give back. There was no promise on our part to ever give back to God, to ever do anything for God. But he gave to us. He gave to us his only son. God's motivation was pure and simple. Love. Real, genuine love. And because he loved us, he chose to act. He didn't just feel it towards us. And because he loved us, he gave. Here's the bottom line I want us to take away from today's uh, talk here. The world's view of love is a feeling that comes and goes. It's a hormonal reaction that is conditional if the object of our love fulfills all of their duties and obligations. It really seeks its own benefit, and when the object of our affection doesn't live up to the expectations that we have, we fall out of love and write more poems and sing more songs about this elusive feeling that controls us and comes and goes. That's how the, the world really embraces the idea of love. But I want us to see real love from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Folks, God is the source of real love, and only by tapping into him can we understand his view of love or how uh, to to uh, how to actually react in love. Seeing love God's way means realizing that love is motivated by a choice to act in unconditional love toward others because we have experienced that kind of love from God. And now we have the power 
and I use that word very specifically, the power to give that kind of love to others with no expectations in return. Oh, listen, uh, uh, at the end of the day, when somebody loves us back, it's a good thing, and you can be happy about it, and you can enjoy it. But if they don't respond like we want, is it now the opportunity and the reason to withhold our love from them? Folks, this is not something that we can do on our own. This is not something that you can uh, 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 experience with others on your own. But only through a relationship with God himself can we really love others the way he loves us. And so I want to encourage you today. Remember that the source of real love is God himself. If you don't have a relationship with God, I want to encourage you, don't leave here today without starting a relationship with God. We can show you how to do that. It's really very simple. And I, and I don't want to ever say that it's uh, not costly. It's very costly. It costs your whole life. But it's still very simple. And all it is is realizing that you're a sinner, realizing that you can never live up to God's expectations, realizing that we have a debt because of our sin to pay that we cannot pay. But Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins. And by exchanging places with him, by basically acknowledging, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't ever pay for my sin. I accept the gift that you gave through your son, Jesus Christ. I uh, receive his life into my life to pay for my sins and I give him my sinful life that he died on the cross for. And I give you the rest of my life to live in me, to live through me, to do what, what you want with my life. By simply doing that, folks, you tap in. You tap into the one true source of real love. And that gives you the power to both love God back and to love others. I want to encourage you today. Don't fall for, don't fall for the very poor, uh, uh, misguided representation of love that is out there somewhere. Come right here and, and look through the lens of God's word and see what real love is. Tap into the source, and I guarantee it will change not only the way you think about love, but the way you share love with others and the way you experience love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that always guides and leads us. We thank you for this time that we could look into your word about the topic of love. Most of all, God, we thank you for uh, your example of showing your incredible love for us in the fact that you gave your son to die for us. Father, nothing we could ever do will ever repay you for that. But we know that real love doesn't expect us to repay you. But Lord, I pray that we would live our lives in a way that is a reflection of the love you put in us and the love we want to give back to you and to others. God, help us to live a life of real love for others and not all of the uh, uh, ways that other people, other cult, our culture or other uh, sources view love. Help us keep a true biblical view of it so that we can experience it and so that we can share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.